way to go. Are you glad to be here today? It's a good day. If you're joining us online, thank you for joining us today through the internet and the waves of the cloud and all of that good stuff. We're going to continue our series today called uh, Simple, and they're going to hopefully pull up my, my thing here in just a second, uh, and we'll, we'll get started and, and go into that. But we've been in the series for the last several weeks called Simple, and, and the series has really been, we've been drawing from a uh, taking away from the book of Colossians. And I want to continue to encourage you, I want to encourage uh, you to continue to, to read the book of Colossians throughout this series. We have two more weeks left in the series. And man, I just believe that this, this powerful, these powerful four chapters ha- are just so rich and they have things that will, are transformative, uh, that, that will really change your life if you'll, if you'll grab a hold of them. And so uh, I want to encourage you to, to continue to, to, uh, to do that and to read, to read uh, into the book of Colossians. So we're going to continue today into our series. And, um, oh, thank you for pulling that up. Uh, Fred Jones had a birthday yesterday. I don't know if he's the oldest one in the room, but I know he's probably close. And, uh, and, uh, and, and Wayne Berry also has a birthday today. Uh, so happy birthday, Wayne. And, uh, you know, we want to give honor to whom honor is due. So happy birthday, Fred, and thanks for being in the house today. Uh, so I wanted to, to, to do that. Okay, picking back up. We're drawing from Paul's letter to the Colossians. And, uh, and like I said, I want to encourage you to read the, the, the book of Colossians as we're going through this, this uh, series. What my goal and hope has been as we go through this series is that we are drawing simple truths. We're drawing some simple truths that we can really build a foundation upon. And so uh, the first week, whenever we talked, we talked about theology. And, uh, and in our theology, we talked about, uh, really, we can, build a, we can build a case for our theology. The foundation of our entire theology can built, be built around God is love. Because that is the motivating uh, factor. It's the motivating thing in God's relationship with us is, is that God is love. God is a myriad of other things. Chief among them, he is love. And so as we look at theology, we, we, say, we say God is love. And then the next week we talked about God's plan, uh, God's, God's ultimate plan. And, and if you're anything like me, being the selfish being that I am, when somebody says to me, I'm going to talk about God's plan, I say, okay, well, what's God's plan for my life? How does God's plan affect me? And, and what we discussed is that God's ultimate plan, while it may be for you, it's not really about you. God's ultimate plan is to exalt Jesus. God's ultimate plan is to exalt his son, Jesus. We get, we're, it, it, he's just so gracious enough to let us come along for the ride. And so last week, we talked a little bit about the section in Colossians where Paul is saying, I am contending for you. I'm in my struggle. He's writing this letter, letter from prison and he's contending and he's struggling. And he said, I'm contending for you and the people of Laodicea. And I'm in this, I'm in this place because what I'm suffering for is worth it. What I'm, what I'm doing here is worth it. The cause that I'm, that I'm about, you, the people, are worth it. We learn that ministry is not toward things. It's not to build buildings. It's not to build entities. Ministry is to people. And Paul said that his goal would be that they would be encouraged in heart and united in love. And so we took away from last week that every single one of you have been called by God. If you're in this place and you're a believer, you have been called by God. If you're in this place and you're not a believer, you too have been called by God. You just don't know it yet. You have been called by God. And so today we're going to continue on this journey and we're going to talk about defending your faith. So you stand with me. We're going to continue in Paul's letter starting in chapter 2, verse 6. So then... 
Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that today that you would allow our hearts to be in a place that we can shift from a worldly perspective to a kingdom perspective, that our eyes would be illuminated and open to the things, Lord, that we would not see things as we see them, but we would see them as you see them. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you that it brings life. Change our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> and so we're talking about defending your faith. When you defend something, it's usually because you want to convince someone that you're right. True? When you defend something, it's because you, you, know, you, want to, you want to convince that, hey, I'm right on this issue or I'm right on this thing. I'm defending this because I believe this to be right or this to be true. We oftentimes, we will defend what we believe and our defense is stronger the more we believe it to be true. And so there are a variety of methods that we use in this world to defend things that we believe in. One of the ways that many of us are probably more accustomed to than we wish that we were is that we yell and we scream and we argue our point of view. Now, oh, maybe that's just in my home, okay? We argue that this is how I feel. This is right. This is wrong. All of those things. But we, we tend to argue when we're, when, and yell when we're trying to defend our, our point of view. But maybe it's not yelling. Maybe your method to defend your point of view is to ignore it. To act as if nobody is saying anything contrary to what you believe. Anybody got anybody that ignores in your household? Yeah, okay. All right, now we're touching something, okay? Some people defend what they believe through protest. 
in groups, together. More people on the same page of the same cause, the merrier. Some people defend what they believe or what they think is true by having social media rants. Now, we're not talking about effective methods today. We're just talking about methods right now, right? Okay. So some people go to social media and they rant and rave about their posture of what, they, what they're trying to defend or what they believe. And then there's the classic old, I'm going to knock you out. I'm going to knock you out because what I, what I want to defend here and what I believe is, is, is true and what you believe is false and we can't get on the same page. So I just, I just knocked you out. All of these are methods. All of these are methods that are used to, to defend uh, beliefs or defend how we feel or defend our rights or whatever it is. All of these are, are, are methods when it comes to defending something. But when it comes to defending your faith, I don't know that those methods, while they have been used to defend people's faith, all of them, I don't know that those methods are the most effective ways to defend your faith when it comes to talking about Jesus Christ. And so when we look in, uh, when we look in Scripture and when we're talking about Colossians, if you've paid attention over the last several weeks when I've opened the series and I've opened each message, I have said the same statement every time. I started by saying I love how Paul opens this passage of Scripture, how he opens Colossians, because what he doesn't do is take a mirror and say, Colossians, this is what you've done wrong. Look at everything in the mirror that you've done wrong. But instead, what he does, especially in chapter one, is he reminds them of the things that they already know. He, he conveys information to them and says, you already know this information. Let me remind you where you came from. Let me remind you of the truth that you already know. And so the reason that Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians in the first place was because of the reports that he was getting of false teaching and false doctrine that was going on in the house. Uh, primarily Gnosticism and teaching of the law. Gnosticism basically says Jesus is comparable to other gods. He's not the supreme God. The law says, hey, you've got to do this, 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 and this, and this in order to make your way into the kingdom or make your way into reconciliation and relationship with Jesus. Both things are wrong. And so Paul is writing this letter to combat those things and he's, and he's readily sharing the truth uh, with them and, and the things that he's sharing and conveying, they already know, they just need to be reminded of. So primarily in chapter one, what we read uh, and what we learn is Paul's trying to convey these three points. He says, you have been qualified. You have been qualified. He also says, you have been rescued from darkness. You have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into his glorious light. And he says, you have been reconciled. You have been qualified. You have been rescued. You have been re uh, reconciled. All of these things, each one of these things, qualified, rescued, and reconciled, weren't anything that you were able to do. All of these things were able to be done because of Jesus. Jesus Christ is supreme. He is God. With Jesus, all things hold together. He is the visible image of the invisible God. The great mystery of God is Christ in you, the hope of glory. All of these things come together. All of these co things come together so that Paul has a platform to say, you have been qualified, you have been rescued, you have been reconciled. And as he goes into this next section of scripture that we read to the, today, he starts with two very distinct words. These words, so then. 
Reading the words, so then, it tells me that we are about to take the information that was just conveyed and we are about to do something with it. So then says that what was former and what was said here must be applied over here. It's not a transition and a walking away from, it's a linking of so that we can continue to go in the direction that we're heading. Are you with me? And so he says, so then we're going to do something with the truth that we are qualified, that we are rescued and we are reconciled. And so he's going to go into this part uh, of, of talking to what we're supposed to do and who we're supposed to be uh, rooted in. And so he's going to take what has just been said and he's going to make it meaningful. I wonder how many of us need a so then moment in our lives. So many of us have been taught the knowledge of Christ. We've been given the data and the information and perhaps we've been reminded about the information and the knowledge of Christ, but we have not had a so then moment so that we end up experiencing Christ. So many, many people I believe in the church come and they gather information and they log it in the back of their mind and they walk out. But from that point, it's like a period is put there and there's nothing more to the story. What would happen if you took the data and the information that's being conveyed and you actually applied it to your walk? What would actually happen in your life? I believe that we at times need a so then moment. Defending your faith with knowledge alone leaves little substance and little authority. If you're trying to defend your faith just with the data that you've been given and you do not have an experience, you have little substance and little authority when you're trying to defend your faith. An example, about four or five weeks ago, I was told that, Dan, uh, that Daniel Thomas has the best biscuits and gravy in the South. Okay, I was told that he has the best Biscuits and gravy in the South. I received that information and I logged it in the back of my mind and I moved on with my life. The next Sunday, I was confronted again with somebody handing me a little card with the little business logo that they were, they were, they were starting and said, hey, listen, you, have, you try, have you tried the biscuits and gravy? You need to try these biscuits and gravy. I was given more information that I could log in my brain, but I was also reminded of the fact or the opinion that he has the best biscuits of gravy. But I just logged that in the back of my mind. The next week comes around. Somebody else comes up to me and says, hey, Daniel Thomas's biscuits and gravy. I mean, that, it's where it's at, you know? And I say, okay, okay, I hear you. You're like the third person that's told me that. I'm gonna have to, at some point, might have to, might have to try them. That's, that's good. And so what if last week someone came up to me and said, hey, Kevin, Waffle House's biscuits and gravy are supreme over Daniel's biscuits and gravy, right? All I have is knowledge of other people's experiences to combat whether or not Daniel's biscuits and gravy are better than Waffle House's. I can't, I have little substance I have little authority to stand on in trying to defend that Daniel Thomas's, Tom, Tom, Thomas's biscuits and gravy are better than anything. All I have is the knowledge until he texts me on Friday night and he says, hey, you need to come and get some of these biscuits and gravy yesterday. And so I go over to his house and I buy some biscuits and gravy. And I bring them over to my, to, to my office here at the church and I take my fork and I slide it into the biscuit 
and I put it in my mouth and my eyes rolled back to the back of my head. I found my face planted into the to-go container licking every crevice of the gravy. Later in the day, I was thinking, what would this gravy taste on chicken? What would it taste like on a burger? What would it taste like on potatoes? I was dreaming about this gravy so that today, because I had an experience yesterday, I can now defend Daniel Thomas's gravies are on point. Gravy and biscuits on point. Okay? So... It takes an experience for you to have authority to defend anything. It takes an experience to give you the authority to stand and say, I believe what I believe. My question is, have you transferred the knowledge that you've been given of Christ and has it become a reality in your life where you have experienced God so that when you're confronted with an issue where you have to defend your faith, you actually have something to stand on. And so Paul says, You have been qualified, you have been rescued, you have been reconciled. And he continues and he says, so then, with that information, with that reminder, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And so he says, so then with this information, you need to be rooted in Christ. You need to be rooted in Christ. You have been qualified. You have been rescued. You have been reconciled. And with all of that, you remain rooted in Christ. There's a lot of action verbs in those two paragraphs I just read. This is not a conveying of information. These are some action points for you. Be rooted in Christ. If you've been a a, a native of Middle Tennessee for any, any length of time, you know that in March, you start to see these. These are all over Middle Tennessee. And if you know me and you've been over my house, you know I do not like having dandelions in my lawn. I do not like them. I don't want them. And how I know that they are actually there is that my daughters will go out first part of March and they will go and they will see those dandelions and they will begin to pick them. And as they pick them, they will bunch them up together and they will present to my wife a bouquet of dandelions and say, here, mama, I love you so much. Well, Sherry and I have the knowledge and the experience that if we allow these dandelions to stay too long, these beautiful, beautiful yellow dandelions will turn into this. And if we allow them to matriculate into this, then those dandelions are going to multiply. So we have the understanding that if we do not do something about these dandelions, they are going to end up being all over the lawn. You see, my daughters are not informed, nor do they have that experience. So when they go out there, they say, oh, it looks like a flower. It must be a flower. It looks like a flower. It must be a flower. How many times do we have people that come up and say, it looks like Jesus, so it must be Jesus. It must be Jesus, 
It must look like Jesus, so, so it must be Jesus. Here's the thing. You can't hand somebody, some, you cannot hand a person something that is not Jesus. You cannot hand a per, something that is not Jesus to somebody who has had an experience with Jesus and expect them to act as if it was Jesus. But if you are an ill-informed Christian, you are ill-informed about Jesus, you have not had an experience with Jesus, then you will buy into anything that's labeled Jesus. And this is where those cracks and crevices come, where we buy in to the deceptive, hollow philosophies of others. Because we just take a label of Jesus and say, this is Jesus, it must be Jesus, I'm just gonna follow this way. Why? Because not only do we not have the knowledge, but we also do not have the experience. Jesus uh, has called us, and Paul is writing, that we are to be rooted in Christ. We are rooted in Christ. And when we are rooted in Christ, we will not buy in to these deceptive ways. The foundation of deceptive, uh, deception is lack of information and lack of experience. The very foundation of deception, this is why you can watch the news and in 30 minutes be deceived. Any news station. Lack of information and lack of experience is the foundation of deception. The roots are where the life comes from. My wife and I know that in order to get rid of the weeds, we must kill it at the root. But in order for us to kill it at the root, we've got to do some uprooting. We've got to get messy sometimes. We've got to get into the dirt. Some of us are not willing to get into the dirt to actually mess things up enough to get the root out. I'm just saying, if you keep coming to church here and you're carrying the same baggage for three and four years, it's because you're not willing to get messy enough to unroot that thing. All you're doing is picking the pretty flower saying, oh, I got rid of it. And you turn around and it's there again. And sometimes not only is it there again, it has multiplied. And when it multiplies, get this, when it mul- those dandelions are not a product of my yard. They're the product of my neighbor's yard. Are you with me? So when you allow your weed to multiply, you affect everybody else. You got to uproot those things. But the same is true when you are rooted in something that is healthy, when you are rooted in someone who is healthy, when you're rooted in Christ Jesus, then what comes out of that are the fruits of the Spirit. Listen, Justin uh, talked about this last week in the early gathering. Listen, if you're, if you're rooted in Christ and you approach a situation with kindness and you get chopped down, what's going to come back up? Kindness. If you approach a situation with peace and you get cut down, what's going to come back up? Peace because you're rooted in the right thing. You're rooted in the one who actually births these spiritual spiritual things. The root is where the life comes from. And so Paul continues in in the scripture and he says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And the reason he says that is because he's about to address something that has been known across the, across the Old Testament. All these thick pages of this book are a list of rules. It's all of these ways of how you must do this and this and this and this and this in order to be covered by God under the old covenant. And he says, it is in Christ that the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. How full is full? It's full. You have been brought to fullness. You have been made complete in Christ Jesus. And he is the head over every power and every authority. And what he continues to convey is the circumcision of the flesh that you're used to. And I'm, I'm assuming majority of you know what circumcision is. 
Back in the Old Testament and under the Old Covenant, you had to be circumcised in order to be under the covering of the Lord. It was mandatory. But because of Jesus and his fullness, we don't have to be circumcised. We don't circumcise by the flesh. We circumcise in the heart. And so last week I got to baptize my daughter, Lucia. And when she was baptized, we baptized her dead to the world and alive in Christ. We baptized dead to the world and alive in Christ. What was she doing there? Just taking a bath? No. What she was doing was symbolic to say, I proclaim that I do not look like, nor do I want to sound like, nor do I want to be a part of the world. I am dead to the world and its systems. I am alive in Christ. That's why every believer needs to be baptized. It is to make a proclamation and a declaration to the people around you that I believe, I am unashamed and I believe, I am dead to the world and alive in Christ. Dead to the world, alive in Christ. And so this sets us free from the law. It sets us free from rules and regulations. Remember the ladder I had out here last week that I almost fell off of? Listen, when, when you try to climb a world standard, you'll fall. Okay, so what, what happened was, is we take our Christianity, we take our walk, we take our faith, and we take it to this world's standard. Nothing of the kingdom looks like the world and nothing of the world looks like the kingdom. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's very opposite. You have been empowered to have a kingdom perspective. Every one of you have been empowered to have a kingdom perspective. So what does this have to do with defending your faith? What in the world does this have, this kingdom perspective and what we've talked about have to do with defending your faith? I'm here to tell you that the weapons that the world uses to defend anything cannot be used to effectively defend your faith in the kingdom. You cannot employ the tactics of the world and expect to get effective results in the kingdom. The whole tool arsenal is completely different. And so what we do in defending our faith is what we're doing. We're not actually defending our faith. We are defending our opinion of the issues. What we end up doing is we end up defending our position on what you put, you fill in the blank. There's a myriad of issues. You struggle with this. That's the issue. I'm going to tell you what I feel about that. And we hope that we're on the right side of that because if we are good or good or good or goodest in here, if we're the best, right? If we're, if we're walking with the world standard and obeying, obeying all the laws, we don't really need Jesus, do we? But no. No, we were born into sin. We were born into sin. The most effective tool that you have in defending your faith is your experience with Jesus Christ. The most effective tool, listen, that you have in defending your faith is your experience with Jesus Christ. Revelation 12 says that we have overcome by the power of the blood and the word of our testimony. What is our testimony? Our testimony is our day-to-day -day experience with Jesus. Our testimony is the unfolding of our life every step, every day, how I handled this situation, what I did in this moment, how I handled this, how I approached this brother, this sister, this person, this sinner, how I did all of these things. That is a daily testimony of my walk with Jesus Christ. This portion of the letter that we're reading concludes with, do not let people judge you based on the rules of the law. 
And basically what Paul is saying is stop putting the issues in the center and start putting Jesus in the center. We are a people who like to put issues in the center instead of putting Jesus in the center. And here's the thing. Knowledge of what we believe is not enough. Living it out is what counts. Living it out is what counts. Your life should be so rooted in Christ and so attractive that when people come up to you, they say, I want what she has. I want what James has. I want what he has. And when they come to you to get the 10 point essay on on how they can get like you, you say, listen, I don't got anything to give you but to point you to Jesus. I don't have anything. I don't have anything to tell you to do except for you need to have an experience with Jesus Christ because that's when your life will change. That's when your life will change. Jesus did not only fulfill the law as it pertains to religious rules. Jesus came to revolutionize and change the way we look at those who are in sin. Jesus came, listen, to revolutionize and change the way we look at people who are in sin. In John chapter eight, at the beginning of John chapter eight, we learn about a woman who is caught in the middle of adultery. She is dragged out into the streets and everybody comes around her and they grab a stone and they are about to stone her. She has committed adultery. She has been caught. All the people who have stones have every right to throw the stones at her because that's part of the law. She should die for what she has done. And Jesus rides up on the scene and it changes everything. Why? Because the people saw the issue and Jesus saw the woman. The people saw the issue. Jesus saw the woman. See, the world is always going to put more value on the issue than they will the person. The kingdom will always see the person and won't see the issue at all because the issue's been covered. The issue's been covered. And so what we do is we tend to to put the issue in the center and and what we're supposed to do is remove the issue. The issue's been bought, it's been paid for, it's been covered. It's not even as if it's there. Jesus says, put him, put Jesus, put me in the center. Jesus is in the gap. When you see somebody's issue, you should be looking beyond the issue and seeing Jesus inside them. When I look at you, I need to see what God has intended for you. I see the hope of glory in your life. I see what God has planned for you. I see what he intended you to be, not your issue. And when it comes to defending my faith, I don't need to look at you and say, oh, let me examine your sin life and let me tell you how I feel about that and let me tell you how far away you are from God. Because see, God can change that in an instant. All you have to do is turn around and say, here I am. And so it's not about issues. It is about heart. We have to get to a point when we look at the adulterer and we say, all I have to offer you is not condemnation, but a better way of life, a better way of living based on what I know and what I have experienced of the Lord. Listen, what you think and what you feel about the topic of abortion pales greatly in comparison to how you view, treat, and respond to the person having the abortion. What you view and what you think about the issue of homosexuality pales greatly in comparison to how you respond, view, and treat the homosexual. Jesus did not call you to go out with a sword and cut everybody off who's messing up their lives. He says, no, In order to defend your faith, live fully in me. 
If you live fully in Christ, then you will be the biggest billboard for Jesus Christ that there ever was. If you will grab hold of everything he has for you, if you will be made alive in Christ and you will operate there, then he will use you to be a beacon of light in this dark world. Most people who have issues know they have issues. Most people. And if they don't know they have issues, if they rub up against the light long enough, they'll discover the issues that they have on their own because there's a better way to live. Paul is saying, live your life rooted in Christ and your experience with Jesus will help you not only decipher false teaching and hollow philosophy, but it will also give you a solid foundation to walk upon and it will cause others to be attracted to what you have inside you. Worship team, come on out. Why did Jesus come to the earth? Why did Jesus come? And John 10, 10 says, I have come so that you may have abundant life. Jesus came that you would have life and have it to the full. Listen, people who have not had an experience with Jesus people who are in a posture to want to fight against your faith, they are headed toward death, a lot of them. And if they look at you, they should look at you and they should be attracted to the life that you bring to the table. But if the people heading toward death look at you and they are more desirous of the death that they're headed toward than the life you're trying to present to them, then there's nothing wrong with them. There's something wrong with you. We should be agents of grace because if we remember not only our knowledge, but our experience, our experience will tell us that we were just as dirty and mucky and and miry as they ever were. And the same God who cleaned us up is available to clean them up. And if we will just walk fully made alive in Christ and we will draw from the benefits that He gives us, that He lavishes on us, not things that we've earned, not things that we've worked hard for, but if we will just walk fully in knowing and living and experiencing that we are qualified, we are rescued and we are reconciled and we can live a life fully in Him, then we will lead groves and groves of people to Jesus Christ. So my question this morning is, what are you rooted in? Better yet, who are you rooted in? Because if you're rooted in Him, then everything that's gonna outflow of your mouth, everything that you do is going to be a flow of that center of that life where your heartbeat is. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, your life is a reflection of your heart, right? This is a a completely crazy, crazy world we live in. Do you agree? And all of us have been messed up. But our God is bigger and better than any circumstance, anything that's going on, all the craziness. He is God. He is for you. He is not against you. We have been made alive in Christ, not because of our own doing, but because of what He has done in us. Now, what are you going to do with that information? What are you going to do with your experience? I hope It's that you're going to illuminate and put the focus on Him so that when people come along your way, you can say, there's a better way. There's a better way. There's a better way. Would you stand with me this morning? Would those who are going to minister to people and pray this morning come forward? 
I know that there are probably needs in the house this morning. And if you're somebody who has a need, this God who loves you and has made you alive in his son, Jesus Christ, he cares about every one of your needs. We do fight our battles in a different way. You may think that you're surrounded, but you're surrounded more so by him. So if you have a need today and you need to pray and agree with somebody, you come and let's worship.